Go ahead and be seated. We are so glad that you're here. A special welcome to you if it's your first time, uh, if you've been around a long, long time, either one. Um, this is such a special time, and we're glad that you're here. Uh, we're going to pass out the welcome books, fill those out, and, uh, and uh, that way we can stay in touch. Um, you know, this time of year, this is crazy. This is like the Sunday before Christmas, right? As I look out on you all, some of you are like so rested and chilling, just everything under control. And some of you this morning have this panicked look on your face, like, please let the service get done so I can go do this and this and this and this and this, all this stuff going on. Anybody there? Um, I'm, I'm kind of... I'm kind of lost right now. I'm in between time because um, last Monday morning, about four in the morning, uh, two of my daughters, Annie and her husband, Adam and Gabrielle and her boyfriend, Jesse, arrived from Joplin, Missouri, and uh, they've been here all week. They are right down here. You guys want to just stand or wave your hands or whatever. Yeah. Love on them if you get a chance after the service. They're terrific. So they've been here all week, and our son Joe, they, they got in at 4 in the morning on Monday morning, something like that. Joe got in about 4 in the morning on Wednesday morning, and he was able to stay for, for three days. And so, so uh, Thursday night, we had Christmas Eve at the Ruble household, and then Christmas Day on Friday. So um, we have experienced that, and it was, it was really cool, because when you're a minister... Um, Christmas Eve is always a little bit crazy with the Christmas Eve services and, and the, the, the traditions that we had when the kids were little kind of got lost as they got bigger because of Christmas Eve services. We, uh, last place that we were, we did five Christmas Eve services, which kind of made Christmas Eve a crazy time. And, um, so we were able to do kind of our family tradition that we did when the kids were little, which was really fun. We, um, we had a big dinner. We sat in the living room with the lights off except for the Christmas tree, and we sang Christmas songs. We sang all the fun, the fun ones and laughed because we didn't know the words. Um, and then we sang, uh, we sang the Christmas carols that really tell the story of Jesus and finished by reading Luke 2, read, reading the account of Jesus' birthday, and then um, and having a time where we all could just silently give a present to Jesus for his birthday and then sang happy birthday to him. Uh, had, uh, I guess we didn't have cake, but we had brownies and ice cream. Uh, uh, usually we light candles and, and do that. So it was an incredible time. So now I'm kind of like, oh, has Christmas come or Christmas not come? I'm not really sure. It depends on what happens when I wake up. Um, we're in this series talking about Christmas uh, we're, we're, we're uh, about halfway through, really. Tim Balow, uh the first week, talked about St. Nicholas, and he talked about the origins of St. Nicholas and the, this whole idea that St. Nicholas was a gift giver, that he was um, on mission from God to change the world through what he did, did some incredible things. And uh, when I think back about Tim's message, one of the things that stuck with me that day was that there is this sense in all of us, Pascal and Augustine um, both wrote about this hundreds of years ago. There's this sense that in all of us, there is this hole inside us that only God can fill. We want God to come into our life. We want, we have this need for God to come in and make things right 
in a way that only he can. And in order for that to happen, he has to know when we're sleeping, know when we're awake, you know, kind of do that. He's, he's the God who's there, who's involved in our lives. Um, the next week, we talked about two of the minor characters, um, Zachariah and Elizabeth. We're going to talk more about them a little bit later this morning. But these two characters that ultimately became the mother and father of John the Baptist, who, who paved the way, who set the stage ultimately for Jesus' ministry. Last week, uh, well, the, in that message of, of Zechariah and Elizabeth, there were two thoughts that I, that I hope that you kind of um, walked away with, the thoughts that stayed in your head. Um, one was that God answers prayer. The angel comes to Zechariah and says, your prayer has been answered. And it's probably a prayer that had been forgotten about 10 or 20 years earlier because it was a prayer that they would have a baby and they were long past the ability to have a baby. It it was um, only by God's hand that that happened. So the the truth out of the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth is that God answers our prayer. Don't stop praying. And the second truth out of that message was that there was this sense of hope that we have that no matter what's going on around us, The story of Zachariah and Elizabeth shows us that hope wins, you know, that hope is there, that hope can change everything. Last week we talked about Joseph. And um, before we get to Joseph, let me me just kind of put on pause because and and just tell you kind of where I am. this Christmas is different for me in that I have the, uh, I have the chance to speak each week. And, and so December for me has just been immersed in the Christmas story. Um, you've got four days left before Christmas. And let me encourage you, there's three chapters in Scripture that, that really tell the Christmas story. One is Matthew 1, that's where you find the story of Joseph. And Luke 1 and Luke 2 tell the story of Jesus, Mary, Joseph, of, of um, Zechariah, and um, Elizabeth. And in those four days, I'd encourage you to just spend, you know, 20 minutes each day reading those three chapters and just begin to put yourself into the Christmas story. Think about those characters and what they experienced, because the more you read, the more you contemplate, the more you think through that, um, there is this sense of how God works in our lives. And how we can respond to him. Last week we talked about Joseph and and the Joseph message has it's just been on my mind over and over again. Um, The fact that Joseph was willing to give up his plans, his reputation and his personal preferences, his personal pleasure in order to obey God. That's that's an incredible example for us that Joseph gave up everything in order to obey God. And then the last the last four things that I share. God, God does his best work when we aren't in control. That's easy to kind of in our head say, yeah, that's true. But man, that's hard to live. God does his best work when we aren't in control. God does his best work when we obey him. God does his best work when we care more about God's agenda than we do about our reputation. That's when God does his best work. And God's best work is redemption. His best work is the whole idea that Jesus came to save us. Um, This Wednesday, we're going to talk about uh, some more characters. We're going to talk about the angels and the shepherds and baby Jesus. We hope that you'll be here for Christmas Eve. It's going to be just a really cool, simple service where we sing carols and and just go right out of Luke 2. We hope that that you can be here and, and share and be a part of that.
Today we're talking about uh, probably the, the other major character in the Christmas story that we haven't talked about yet. And, and this character, Mary, is somebody that we talk about all the time in the Christian world. There's, um, depending on kind of where your background's from, Mary has really high place or Mary's a part of the Christmas story. That's where we're going to go. If you've got your Bibles, take them out, turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 26, and we're going to work through most of the rest of this chapter um, uh, in, the, in the next few minutes. If you haven't got a Bible, if you don't have one, we would love to provide one for you. As you leave today, we've got some out in the, in the hallway out there at the, at the welcome table. And um, we would love to give you a Bible that you can take home and, and read those chapters on your own if you don't have one. Um, It's going to be on screen as well. Here we go. Luke chapter one, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, in the sixth month, and that's of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Again, if you've got your Bibles, just look a couple verses earlier. You'll see that that's there. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. What incredible news. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. We're going to just kind of work through that passage and unpack it a little bit at a time. I'm going to give you four things as we go to try and uh, some hooks that you can just grab hold of. Understanding the setting, first part of, of Luke chapter 1, the angel appears to Zechariah. Zechariah is a priest in, um, in the Jewish culture. Um, he has one shot in his life where he gets to, do, to minister in the temple. So that one time he goes into the temple, an angel appears to him and says, Your wife is going to have a baby. You're to call him John. And um, Zechariah is just kind of blown away by that, doesn't believe it. But he goes home. Um, Elizabeth becomes pregnant. And, um, and, and the pregnancy proceeds. Uh, the end of, uh, in, in the section right before that, in um, Luke chapter 1, it says that, that Elizabeth hid herself for five months. So the first five months of the pregnancy, Elizabeth's kind of off the radar. Nobody knows what's going on because she's probably in her 60s, okay? They're old. No way they should be able to have a baby, but God has jumped in the middle, and, um, and, and they're having a baby in a, in a way that they didn't think was possible. Um, so the angel comes to Nazareth um, to, to talk to Mary. Um, 
It's important, I think, as we jump into the story to to just kind of understand how all the pieces fit, that there's nothing remarkable about Nazareth. I I grew up in the church, grew up in a godly family for which I am so grateful. And I always thought Nazareth, you know, it must be like a resort city, you know, all this hustle, bustle, all this stuff, because that's where Jesus was from. Not the case at all. Nazareth was this little podunk town. Um, Archaeologists say that there were probably ever there were probably never more than about 400 people that lived in Nazareth. Nazareth was this town that was built uh, kind of on the side of a mountain. And the way that the homes were built are not the way that we think walls, roof, that kind of thing. They were dug. They were caves that were dug into the side of the mountain. Most homes there, if you go to Israel, you can see this. Most of the homes that are excavated are two room homes. There's this chamber that's by the door, that's by the mouth of the cave, where the animals would be. And that has the, that has the place for their fire. In some of, the, in some of the, um, the excavated caves that are there, you can still see soot on the walls from fires that existed as people lived in those homes thousands of years ago. So that, that outside room is, uh, is where the animals were, where, where they cooked, all that kind of stuff. And then there's a second room that's typically a little bit lower, farther into the cave where the family would live. Um, so, so you've got the, the two rooms going on. Um, it's not Nazareth is not a, a pretty place. It's it's a small place, a lot like small towns that are in Michigan, in Ohio, in Kentucky, uh, you know, in West Virginia. Not a lot of money. They're not on the way to anything. It's just kind of there, this collection of people. And if you think about small towns, everybody knows everybody, right, in a small town. Everybody knows everybody's business in a small town. Everybody knows if you're playing the lottery and um, how often you're playing the lottery, and especially if you won in a small town. That's the picture of Nazareth. Everybody's connected to each other. There's nothing remarkable about Mary from the world's point of view. She's just a girl. She's betrothed to Joseph, but she's just a regular girl. She's young, probably 14 to 16. She's unmarried and she's never slept with a man. When you think about that, to me this week as I was studying, the, the, the verses from, from 1 Samuel came to mind. As Samuel's looking to, to, to determine who is going to be the king for the nation of Israel. And Samuel sees all these guys that from the outside look like, oh man, that's king material. And God says, man looks on the outside, but the Lord looks at the heart. What was remarkable about Mary? It wasn't her past. It wasn't her family. It wasn't where she lived. It was the condition of her heart that made the difference. The first thing that I want you to walk away from with, the walk away with from the story of Mary is this. You may take inventory this morning in your life and think that you're pretty unremarkable. You, you don't have a job that you're curing cancer. You're not the president of the U.S. You're, you know, you're not a, a senator or, or a, somebody that works high in government. You don't have a lot of money in the bank. You think, you know, when I'm gone, I'm just kind of going to be a blip on the radar. You're an unremarkable person, maybe, from an unremarkable place. Know this. 
God has a plan for you. He has a plan to take you right where you are and to change the world. Maybe not quite in the way that he did with Mary, as as we'll discover as, as we just unpack her story. But in your way, God has the ability to use you, even though you may not have a pedigree, even though you may not have an education, even though you may not have all of the stuff the world looks at that says this makes you important. God wants to use you. So Gabriel comes, he, uh, this messenger of God, he leaves heaven. And I think that there's probably a conversation that happens in heaven as, as God tells Gabriel to go down and talk to Mary. Gabriel's thinking, yes, I get to go to Jerusalem, you know, the capital city. It's going to be great. Maybe go to the temple. And God says, no, go to Nazareth. And I think Gabriel probably had to, you know, pull out his map and say, Nazareth. Gabriel went where God sent him to an unremarkable place, to an unremarkable girl. And um, and begins to talk to her. Pause for just a second and say, if you were to go to Israel right now, to the city of Nazareth, there are two places that the church world says that this encounter between Mary and the angel takes place. They're both called the Church of the Annunciation, Latin word for the announcement, the Church of the Announcement of Jesus being born, Church of the Annunciation. The first is a Roman Catholic church. Um, Take a look up on screen at the slide. There's a picture of this church. This church is built over the site that since the 4th century, so over 1,500 years, this site has been accepted as the the place where Mary's um, childhood home was. That as early as the 4th century, they said, oh, this is where Mary grew up. And so even though the church looks fancy on the outside, it's, it's even kind of fancier on the inside. Down in the bottoms, there's this cave that's there. And, and the Roman Catholic um, Church says, this is the place where the angel Gabriel came and talked to Mary. Um, but when I was there in 2011, we were inside this church. It was, uh, it was cool. We had a little bit of time there. And so I'm journaling. I, you know, I'm writing notes to myself about what I'm experiencing there and thinking about the magnitude of, of the angel of God coming and talking to Mary in this place. And there was mass going on inside the church. And interestingly enough, it was happening in English. And so I'm, I'm writing and I hear a reader get up and read from Isaiah 9. That, and, and the reader says, his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. It was, it was, for me, it was one of those moments that was a thin space between earth and heaven. It's it just a really cool thing. Church of the Annunciation. There's a second place in Nazareth that looks very different. It's, um, it's a church of the Greek, it's the Church of the Annunciation of the Greek Orthodox Church. Um, when the church split between the East and the West, um, the Greek Orthodox said, no, that's not, the, the angel didn't come to Mary at her home. The angel came to Mary when she went to draw water. And this church is built over a spring that's at the edge, that would have been at the edge of, um, of Nazareth. And so um, I, I don't know about you, but I think that that church looks like the Alamo. Um, <laughs> Remember the Church of Annunciation. No, that doesn't work. Um, there, there's, scripture doesn't tell us. It's kind of interesting because with Joseph... The angel appears in a dream, right? With, uh, um, it comes. But with, with, um, with Mary, we don't have any sense of timing. With early in the morning, late at night, middle of the day, whether she's asleep or not, 
And so it could have been when Mary went to go get water. Think about, think about that. Your 14-year-old girl, you're carrying your buckets. So you're going to bring water back to your family. And all of a sudden, the angel says, greetings, Mary. Or maybe it happened early in the morning or late at night. Everybody else was out and Mary's inside her home and the angel appears. Maybe it was she was outside and everybody's gone. Who knows? We don't know. But this angel comes and says, greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. Isn't, doesn't that sound remarkably like Isaiah 7 that says his name will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. This concept that God would come to earth and live among us, experiencing life as we do. Greetings, Mary. The Lord is with you. This passage of scripture, it's the biblical source for what's known as the Hail Mary. Hail Mary. Uh, maybe you have a lot of people here have come uh, out of back, a background where they've um, uh, been in the Catholic faith, experienced Catholicism. Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. That that those words come right from the angel Gabriel. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Those are the words of Elizabeth, Mary's relative that we'll read in just a little bit. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Those words are not found in Scripture. Those are just kind of added in. Um, if, if you grew up in the Catholic faith, Hail Mary's, it's, it's just kind of a normal part of life. It's important to know that those phrases are, they come from Gabriel. They come from Elizabeth. And then the last phrase is just kind of thrown in there. If you're not from the Catholic faith, you hear the word Hail Mary, what do you think? <laughs> yesterday afternoon, yesterday afternoon, we turn on the TV. Um, I've got Leighton Redskin um, fan genes in me. And so the Redskins are playing the Eagles. We turn it on. Uh, Eagles are, are getting ready to score. Redskins get a turnover. Redskins kick a field goal with 10 seconds left. Eagles get the ball back. They get the ball at the 50, and they throw a Hail Mary pass. The ball goes down to the goal line. It gets knocked down. That, that, that um, cultural use of the word says that, you know what, when everything else fails, when you're at a place of desperation, you say Hail Mary and everything's going to be okay. That's, that's kind of how we understand it. That's not this sense that's from this scripture. The picture that's here is the angel comes to Mary is in this dark place, an angel says, Hail, Mary. Greetings, Mary. The Lord is with you. You're a, f- a favored one. Um, it says that Mary was greatly troubled at the greeting from the angel, which is a, uh, not an, uh, th- that's exactly what you'd expect. Angel comes to her. She's an unremarkable girl from an unremarkable place. And all of a sudden, an angel has come to talk to her. If that's you, if an angel comes to talk to you tonight, What's your immediate reaction? Probably first fear and probably second, what did I do wrong? You know, what's what's going on here? I think Mary probably thought, did I eat some bad lamb stew last night? Because because this is not making sense at all. She may have been thinking, where's the camera? You know, Kevin camera. Am I being punked? What's what's going on? Because this is not something that just happens. Mary was a simple, humble girl 
with no expectations that God would ever use her in any way other than just normal, everyday life. I think that's part of why God chose her. Gabriel says, don't be afraid. You have found favor with God. And then he explains that and he says, you're going to conceive and you're going to bear a son. And he gives a command. He says, you're to name this son Jesus. We talked about that last week. Oh, a name that means savior. And then he prophesies and it says, this child named Jesus is going to be great. He's going to be called the son of the most high. God will give him the throne of David and he'll rule over the house of Jacob forever. The whole Jewish nation is going to be impacted because of this child. And he says his kingdom will never end. Hints there that it's not just going to be the Jews. The influence of Jesus is going to reach down to us 2,000 years later. And Mary responds. She asks a question. She says, how's this going to happen? I'm a virgin. I have never slept with a guy. How can I have a baby? I don't get that at all. Mary, I think, was asking a question of mechanics, not of disbelief. It's not that she didn't believe that God could do it. It's that she just didn't understand how that could work. How do you have a baby if you don't sleep together? And she hadn't. Here's here's the second takeaway, I think, out of the story of Mary. God's not afraid of our questions. God is not afraid of our questions, but it's all about our attitude. Mary asks a question and she says, how can this be? I'm a virgin. I'm a young girl. Zachariah asked essentially the same question. Angel says, your wife's going to be pregnant. Your prayers are answered. You're going to have a baby. Zachariah says, how can this be? We're both old. It was essentially the same question, but with two different attitudes. I think that Zachariah's attitude was, God, you don't understand. You don't get this. Parts don't work the way they used to anymore, okay? It's not going to happen. I think that that was Zechariah's perspective. And the result of that was that the angel said, Zechariah, you're not going to speak until this baby is born. Mary asked essentially the same question, but she says, God, I, I don't understand. Gabriel, help me figure, I believe you. But I I don't know how it works. God's not afraid of your questions. As long as we don't treat him like a two-year-old who doesn't know what he's doing. As long as we don't treat God as if we know better than him, God's not afraid of our questions. Yeah, um, if you're here this morning, I I know, you know, it's it's right before Christmas. Maybe maybe this whole deal is is kind of a new thing for you. Maybe you're struggling because in your world, there's, there's this clash of stuff that you know God's there, you know that he's good, and yet there's just this mess that's out there. Don't be afraid to ask God questions. He will answer. Gabriel responds and says, okay, this is, this is the deal. This is what's going to happen. Holy Spirit's going to come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Uh, in the ESV, it's a little bit hard to understand what the words say there, but there's this picture of God hovering over Mary in a very tender, gentle way. Gabriel says, that's what's going to happen. It's not going to be that there's going to be this supernatural 
physical kind of thing that happened. Not that at all. It's that God's going to come alongside you. He's going to hover over you. And you're going to conceive as a result of that. God's going to do something supernaturally to create this baby inside your body. And because God does it supernaturally, the result is that this child is going to be called holy, the son of God. The proof of that, Gabriel says to Mary, is that your relative, your cousin, Elizabeth, the one who's old, the one who's never been able to have kids, the one who's ancient, she's pregnant. She's already pregnant five months. Because nothing is impossible with God. Third thing I want you to take away from this. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. What is it that you think is impossible in your life? Think about that for a second. What is it that you think is impossible? Um, I, I, I so desperately want to talk about that because I've had conversations with multiple people who are followers of Jesus in the last six months who have said, you know what? That's just the way it is. It's never going to change. It's not going to happen. That person is never going to do anything different. Our marriage is never going to be any different. We're never going to be reconciled. That's just the way it is. And I had a conversation say, don't you understand that God can change? It's not going to happen. What is it in your life that seems impossible? It may be your situation at work. It may be a relationship that you have with somebody that you think can never be reconciled. It may be your financial situation. It may be just that life's um, drudgery. And you think it's never going to... What is it that you think is impossible? Let me just paint three pictures for you out of this story. If God can take a woman in her 60s and can breathe life into her insides and create a baby. He can do anything. If God supernaturally can create a baby to grow inside Mary without any kind of sexual relationships, God can do anything. If God can take a body that's been beaten and put on the cross, that stopped breathing, that the blood has poured out of, that the pericardio sac has been pierced. The body's been laid in a grave for three days. And God can bring it back to life. God can do anything. Nothing is impossible with God. How's Mary respond? She says, I'm a bondservant of the Lord. Basically, Mary says, And understand culturally what this means. Mary says, I am your slave. Do to me whatever you want. Is that incredible? That's the perspective of Mary. That's why God chose her. She wasn't remarkable from any sense, any external sense, but inside. She got it that God's the king and we serve him. He can do anything he wants in any way he wants. When Mary says yes, what what is she saying yes to? What is she um, accepting? She's accepting that her wedding day is not going to be the way that she had imagined it. She's accepting her reputation is going to be shot. 
She's accepting that motherhood is going to be right around the corner for her. She is accepting that her life will never, ever be the same. It will not be like anyone else's life. How do do you handle unexpected moments in life? When all of a sudden things that you hadn't counted on begin to happen, what do you do? Most of the time, I think for for us, they're first world problems, inconveniences that mess up the order of our world. Things happen that we don't expect are going to happen. We go home. We've told our kids to clean the room. Didn't happen. We have expectations for our husband or wife. And they don't happen. The person in the checkout line in front of us when we're on schedule doesn't know how to do the self-checkout thing. And it drives us crazy. How do you handle unexpected stuff? You go to the bakery for your favorite donuts and they're out. How do you handle things that are unexpected? Your company asks you to relocate. The cable TV goes out. How do we respond? How do we respond? Mary's response is a model for us. Mary believed and trusted that God had a plan for her life that was better than her own. Let me say that again. Mary believed and trusted that God had a plan for her life that was better than her own. And Mary believed and trusted that God had a plan for her day that was better than she had for her own. Who owns your expectations? Who owns your expectations? You or God? Fourth thought that I want to leave you with is is this, and it's really kind of the culmination of when we look at Mary. Our heart determines our response in unexpected moments. Let me say that again. Our heart determines our response in unexpected moments. If the way that you respond drives you crazy... The place to go is to your heart, not to your behavior. It's to understand who God is, to understand that he is in charge, that he is the Lord of the universe. He's the Lord of you and that we can trust him. The angel leaves and I think for Mary, reality begins to set in. All of a sudden, you know, you've had those moments, haven't you? You go to the doctor, the doctor gives you the diagnosis you're, and the doctor says, do you have any questions? No, I got it. Doctor leaves wait, I, I want to ask this and this. I think that's what happened for Mary. The angel leaves and all of a sudden Mary begins to think, how, how soon? Are we talking about like today or three weeks? How soon is this going to happen? What are people going to think? What do I say to my parents? Will my parents believe me? What are people going to think? What are people going to think? What do I say to Joseph? What's, how's Joseph going to respond? Am I going to raise this baby on my own? Everybody in Nazareth, what are they going to think? I think, that, I think that Mary was thinking, you know, can I tell one of my friends? But she knew that if she did, all of a sudden the news would be out on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram. You know, all of Israel would know in an instant that she was pregnant. I think, that, I think what happened when the angel left and all those questions are going through Mary's mind, Mary realizes in an instant the one person I can talk to is Elizabeth. 
God's done something in her. She's pregnant. She's five months pregnant. She's old. She's going to get this. Mary takes off um, to go find Elizabeth. Scripture doesn't tell us where they lived, but it says that they lived in the hill country of, of Judah, probably somewhere in the area around Jerusalem, Bethlehem. It may be the journey that ultimately Mary and Joseph make when they go for Jesus to be born because of the census. Um, but it's probably somewhere 60, 70, 80 miles probably three or four days journey for Mary to find Elizabeth. And when she gets there, this is what scripture says. In those days, Mary arose and went immediately to the hill country, to a town in Judah. She entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary replies, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary remained with her three months and returned to her home. If you got your Bibles out and you look, there's a heading there that probably calls Mary's response the Magnificat. Um, I don't know about you, but I always wonder, oh, what's what's the origin of that Magnificat thing? It's the Latin word that describes this passage of Scripture. Um, Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And, and the Latin word for that is Magnificat, which is where that name comes about. And if you look at that passage of scripture, Mary's response, the, the thing that I came away with is that Mary's response was true to her heart. She said, you know what? This is not about me. It's about God. I think if, if she had confirmed that this baby growing inside her, was from God, it would have been easy for her to rise up and be proud and, and, and to say, oh man, aren't I great? And instead she says, you know what? All generations are going to call me blessed, but it's because of God. And then she ticks down through, God chose me, an unremarkable girl from an unremarkable place. All generations are going to call me of all people blessed because of God. God has done great things. Holy is his name. His mercy is for all who fear him. God's strength scatters the proud, brings down the mighty, exalts the humble. God fills the hungry, but leaves the rich wanting. God honors his promises all the way back to Abraham. Mary responds to these crazy circumstances in two ways. With the angel, she says, I'm your servant. Do to me whatever you want. And to Elizabeth, she says, God be praised for what's going on. Even though her life was going to be blown up, it was going to be a wreck, it was going to be different than anything she anticipated, 
God be praised. We're going to show a video that's, a, that's a, just a, a character portrayal of Mary that I think is really good. It helps us understand who she is. Take a look up on screen. As long as I can remember, we'd been waiting for the Messiah to come for us. My family, our tribe, our whole nation. I always knew that he'd come, but... Well, let's be honest. It's not like I'm from Jerusalem or someplace special. I'm just a girl from Nazareth. And everybody knows that not much good comes from Nazareth. that's what God wanted who was I to tell him he was wrong and Joseph God bless that wonderful man he could have joined in with everybody else he could have had me sent away he could have even had me killed but he just never broke the promise to marry me and so when he had to go to Bethlehem for the census I was honored to ride by his side even with heartburn and bloated cankles and nine months of pregnancy behind me (laughs) you know those women who try different things to induce labor like going on frequent walks or eating spicy foods what they should do is go on a bumpy 70 mile trip to Bethlehem not long after I got there done this myself but even I knew it was time and with every wave of pain I tried to ignore the fact that my family wouldn't be there to help me and that I'd be bringing this baby into the world without the familiarity of home When Jesus finally came, I forgot all of that, though. I just wrapped him in cloths and tried to make the most comfortable bed I could for him with the only thing I had, which was an animal's feeding trough. Joseph said I should have been sleeping then, but I couldn't stop staring at him. Last week, I finished the message with a song written from the perspective of Joseph. 
that said this. Why me? I'm just a simple man of trade. Why him? Why Jesus? With all the rulers in the world. Why here inside a stable filled with hay? Why her? Why Mary? She's just an ordinary girl. I'm not one to second guess what angels have to say, but this is such a strange way to save the world. The point of Christmas is not presents. It's not family. It's not snow. It's not traditions. It's not carols or cards. It's not Santa. It's not Rudolph or Ralphie or Buddy or Bedford Falls. The point of Christmas is that God left heaven and came to live among us. He experienced everything that we do. The time management issues, the schedules, the pressure, the deadlines, the expectations. He had ignorant, aggravating friends. He faced the temptation to trust himself rather than his father. And ultimately, he went to the cross to die for us, to redeem us, to give us a life that matters, to give eternity, to give hope. We're going to share this morning in a special time. We call the Lord's Supper or Communion, the Eucharist. It's a time that we can remember what Jesus did for us. We'll take uh, a piece of bread, a cracker, a wafer, and we'll eat that to remember that Jesus gave up his body for us. We'll take some juice that will remind us that Jesus' blood poured out for us so that we could experience forgiveness. We do it because Jesus asked his followers to. If you've, if you've given your life fully to Jesus, if you're following him, you're sold out for him, this makes all the sense in the world to remember how much God loves you and the price that was paid. It may be that you're here today and, and you've got questions. You're not there. You're not following Jesus, but you're here because you've got questions and you're kind of working through stuff. Know that it's okay to just pass the trays on to the next person. If you're a follower of Jesus today, I'd like for you to do this. While the trays come by, take the bread, take the wafer, and just hold it. Take the cup and just hold it. It may be that you need to put it on the back of the, of the pew in front of you to just be able to do that and manage it. And we're all going to take that together. While the trays are being passed out, Jamie's going to sing a song. It's a song um, that focuses on Mary and focuses on the whole purpose of why Jesus came to earth. <laughs>